Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're in chapter 3 of Revelation, continuing the letter to the Church of Laodicea, discussing the difference between being hot or cold and the danger we face in being lukewarm. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. Revelation in chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 14. We're going to read this whole passage for context. Um, We are starting in this. I don't know that we're going to get through the whole thing again this morning. This is the last of the seven churches that Jesus is writing to that we've been looking at. It is not necessarily a long passage, and yet at the same time, it is a chalk-filled one, and I think it has a lot of relevancy to the time in which we're now living. And so for that reason, I want us to glean onto what Jesus is saying here, because it's a warning to all of us. But look what he says in verse 14 in chapter 3 of Revelation. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I say that again. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, we began looking at this last church, and, uh, you know, I did sort of start with a pithy comment about puking it out, but you can see why. You know, this is a church, and, and we don't want to lose sight as we break down these individual verses of what, what's going on overall, because we could read some of these and think that these are unbelievers, yet at the same time, we get the sense that this is not necessarily an unbelieving church, that it's composed. It doesn't mean there aren't unbelievers in there, but by and large, it's composed of believers, and Jesus is writing to them because he loves them. This is his body. This is his bride. This is a part of his bride. And he's writing to them to say, hey, the stuff you're doing is broken. And here's why. But I love you enough to tell you these things. I love you enough to to convey to you these hard truths that may hurt for the moment, but I want you to see them and to understand them so that I can bring the change. And Jesus is the one who will bring the change to them and to us that needs to be brought to our lives. But Jesus began by dealing with them about who he was. We looked at that last week in verse 14. But today we pick up in verse 15 where he begins to go into what's going on with them. And he says in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Interesting statements here. You are neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. 
is what he says. That's incredibly strong language when you think about it because Jesus is using it here. And, and, and as he uses it, it had to have struck home to these people, uh, in particular with these believers in Laodicea, because they drank lukewarm water every day. Remember I told you there were some unique characteristics about this particular city. And one of the unique characteristics is that originally it was built as a fortress city, but it didn't work out well as a fortress city because it was missing a key ingredient, water. It had no fresh water source of its own. And so they had to depend on a town called Hierapolis, which was a little bit away from that, was the closest town that had a fresh source of water. And they literally piped the water in from this town to the city of Laodicea. And Heropolis actually was famous for its hot mineral springs. And they would send water to Laodicea via an aqueduct system that would work its way through. But even though it cooled down along the way on its way to Laodicea, it never really got absolutely cold. But instead, it always remained lukewarm. It remained lukewarm by the time they got it. Now, historians tell us that even though the water was drinkable... The people would still often become nauseated, even sickened by it because of the temperature and because of the mineral content. You ever been around warm springs that come up out of the ground? We, we had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go to Yellowstone before we went there. Um, I was out at Calvary Chapel at one of the conferences, and I was up at their Bible college up at Murrieta Hot Springs. And there's a reason they call it Hot Springs, because literally it's just bubbling up all over the campus and the streams. They It's beautiful, but at night we go down and they'd pull it and you'd crawl into the pools. It was like a natural hot tub. You just crawl into these things. But the one thing that was very distinct about it is it stank. Man, that water stank. You know, I don't, I'm sure it was potable. You could drink it. I'm sure I wouldn't want to after everybody's been in it, but it stank from the sulfur content. You know, I, it's not unusual even around here where there's not hot springs. I mean, my, my aunt lived out in the country up in Schuylkill County, and she was on well water, but that well water picked up some, some mineral content, had sulfur in it. And when we'd go to her house, I'd be, I was a little kid, I'd look at my mom and be like, Mommy, when we go there, please don't make me drink the water. Don't make me drink it, because it just smelled putrid. It was all the minerals, the sulfur, and everything else that was in it. Well, that's exactly what these people were dealing with. And, and so they're telling us that even though they could drink this water, it would still sicken them oftentimes, even make them nauseous and, and want to vomit in the process. So delay a deceiving believers as Jesus is saying these words, I, I promise you, they understood exactly. They could relate to what Jesus was saying here and, and about their spiritual condition from his perspective. Now, Jesus also uses two other relevant images, each of which portrays a spiritual condition uh, against which the idea of lukewarmness is being contrasted. Okay, there's a contrast taking place in this passage. He mentions the condition of being cold right? I wish you were cold, you know, or hot, and he says you're neither. But that, that word cold in the Greek is a word that literally means cold to the point of freezing. To get the extreme of that, I wish you were that, okay? He also mentions a condition of being hot, and the Greek word he uses there is hot to the point of boiling. So you got these two extremes. He'd say, I'd rather you were on one of these than where you are here in the middle. And that's what he's contrasting against these words. Jesus is, is, is contrasting this idea of lukewarmness. Literally, the word that he uses for lukewarm is a word that means tepid to the point of nauseating effect. Tepid to the point of nauseating effect. Now, as Jesus applies this to the Laodicean believers here in this church, 
he's really not just talking. I mean, we can look at this and realize that, yeah, it has to do with their problematic condition, but, but it also describes the three spiritual conditions of human beings at large, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. There are those who are spiritually cold, right? Cold to the point of freezing towards the things of Christ. They, those, they have no interest in the gospel. The gospel has no effect on them. They're not interested. They're not motivated in any spiritual sense. There's no real evidence of eternal life in them at all. They're cold because in many ways they're really spiritually dead, you see. There are people like that in this world. You know, even in churches, there are people like this. There are entire churches, I believe, that are filled with spiritually dead people. They just have no interest. They're that cold. But then he he uses this word hot, but I think that describes a group of people. I, I pray it describes you and me personally in our relationship with Jesus, that, that we're on fire for the Lord, that we're on fire for the Lord. We, we've responded to the gospel. There's no question about our having attained eternal life, that the sanctifying power and presence of, of the Holy Spirit is, is evident in our lives, and there's a fervent testimony being manifested in our lives that evidences the fact that we're truly saved, that we've placed our faith in Jesus and we're on fire for him. But then there's that third description that Jesus applies to the Laodiceans that also applies to people as well at large of being lukewarm. People who are spiritually tepid to the point of nauseating. And their faith in Christ is manifesting itself in some rudimentary and level of interest in the things of Christ, but not too much. That always defines not too much, you know. They profess him in words, but the way they're living their lives leaves a lot of questions about where they really stand spiritually, what they really believe spiritually, whether they really know him. They land somewhere between cold and hot, indifferent, lethargic, compromise tends to mark their lives more than commitment and zeal for the Lord. They might be saved, but sometimes it's really hard to tell. We all know people like this. We all encounter people like this. Maybe we've been there. Maybe you are there. Spurgeon, in his sermon called An Earnest Warning Against Lukewarmness, described what he believed to be some of the characteristics of a lukewarm Christian and the congregations which they form. He said this, they have prayer meetings, but there are few present for they like quiet evenings home. When more attend the meetings, they're still very dull for they do their praying very deliberately and are afraid of being too excited. They're content to have all things done decently and in order, but vigor and zeal are considered to be vulgar. They may have schools, Bible classes, preaching rooms, and all sorts of agencies, but they might as well be without them, for no energy is displayed and no good comes from them. They have deacons and elders who are excellent pillars of the church, if the chief quality of pillars be to stand still and exhibit no motion or emotion. I like that. (laughs) The pastor doesn't fly very far in preaching the everlasting gospel, and he certainly has no flame of fire in his preaching. pastor may be a shining light of eloquence, but he certainly is not a burning light of grace setting men's hearts on fire. Everything is done in a half-hearted, listless, dead, and alive way as if it didn't matter much whether it was done or not. Things are respectably done. The the rich families are not offended. The skeptical party is conciliated, and the good people aren't quite alienated. Things are made pleasant all around. The right things are done, but as to doing them with all your might and soul and strength, the Laodicean church has no notion of what that means. They aren't so cold as to abandon their work or to give up their meetings for prayer or to reject the gospel, but everything is kind of borderline. 
to Spurgeon's list, I'm going to add a few of my own this morning, based on my own observations of people and congregations as, as, as being described here in Laodicea. They're filled with people who attend church, but are really never part of the church they attend. They're content to just come in and remain inconspicuous and uncommitted. Sunday services are generally the only thing they attend, and then many of them do so only in a sporadic fashion. They're people who are generally more than content to let others put forth spiritual effort while they themselves sit back and enjoy peaceable lives of uninvolvement, and they just justify their uninvolvement with all sorts of reasons and excuses. Too busy, too much commitment, too disruptive to their important life schedule, can't guarantee they'll be around to the extent needed. On and on and on their excuses go, some legitimate, but lots of them nothing more than excuses offered to avoid commitment and personal inconvenience. These are people in congregations that make decisions about spiritual involvement based on what it costs them in terms of time and energy and commitment and comfort. These are people who look for more excuses why not to be involved in the things of Christ than they look for reasons to be a part of things. You know, I can tell you honestly, there are periods in my life that depict this, you know, especially the comment earlier, you know, want to be involved, want to know Jesus, want want his things in my life, but not too much. There's a cap on that, you know. My mother used to always say when, before she came to Christ, and she didn't, I didn't hear that out of her mouth after she came to Jesus at 90-some years old. But before she came to Christ, she always used to say, well, this thing you're into, it's fine. Just, but don't go, don't go nuts. Don't go nuts with it. <laughs> Do you ever hear people say that? You know, don't, there's, there's people, you know, they get in this Christian thing and they just, they're, they're, they're just insane. Well, look, I believe there are some insane people in Christianity. <laughs> there just are, and they're doing some nutty things, but that's not what most of the people are talking about. In other words, just dabble in it, but not too much. See, that's Laodicea. That's Laodicea. And Jesus is challenging that. He said, that's lukewarmness. I'd rather you be on both one of the ends of the spectrum, but that, that's nauseating to me. I think in a lot of ways, if you think about the list that I just read to you, and I know that's kind of oppressive, it's dark in a lot of ways, but you know what? Those characteristics, when we look around today, they describe to some extent a lot of churches in America today. You know? Let's everybody be happy. Let's do what we got to do to be happy, but let's not get too committed to the real things that, that matter. I'd like to think that this lukewarm brand of Laodicean Christianity isn't here amongst us, but if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that it, it must be because we're made up of human beings. We're made up of human beings, you know? We were talking this week, just a couple of us were talking about, you know, drama in life and, and drama in churches and, you know, how it comes. And, and my answer is, of course, there's drama in churches. Of course, there is because it's made up of human beings. And, and, and though we're changed and the Lord is changing us, if we've given our lives to him, we're still in a lot of ways because of this, this flesh that we're still in, you know, and flesh not just be our physical bodies, but the way we still sometimes think and the habits that we've formed in our lives before Christ, you know, those, that part of us still reflects the fallenness of man. And whenever that happens, there's all kinds of things that take place, whether it's drama in a church or it's Laodicea in a church. And we bring it in with us. It's something that I believe plagues the body of Christ at large. And the sooner we recognize it, and the sooner we admit it, because Jesus is going to come to that, the sooner we recognize, the sooner we admit it, the sooner Jesus can deal with it wherever it exists, in our lives individually and in our fellowship corporately. Now, 
to these three spiritual conditions, Jesus adds something else that I find pretty remarkable. Look again at verse 15. He says this, I could wish you were cold or hot. I could wish you were one or the other. I, I, can, I can relate to Jesus wanting them to be hot, right? You'd think he'd just say, guys, I want you to be on fire for me. But cold? <laughs> cold? Why would he say that? Why would Jesus wish anybody would be cold spiritually? Well, it's not that he wants people to be cold spiritually. He doesn't. It's not his desire, but he is simply drawing a contrast to this condition of lukewarmness, and he's saying that it's better for a person to make a choice to be cold spiritually than to be lukewarm, because at least the person who's cold spiritually, there's a greater chance of bringing them out of their cold state and there is, than there is in reaching a person who's in a lukewarm state. You see? I'd rather talk to the cold person who's spiritually dead than I would to a lukewarm person. That's just truth. And you know, I hear people all the time say today in our, in our nation, you know, we are, you know, we don't like to say that and Christians in particular don't like to say it in the church that this is a post-Christian era in America. I embrace that. You know, I embrace that. It's not that I don't want to see Christianity spread in America. I do. But I would argue that America for a very long time has had just enough spirituality in it, just enough understanding of Jesus in it, just enough understanding of some passages of the Bible in it to get by with all kinds of lukewarm nonsense. And when you get to that cold state in our country, now we have an opportunity to surely bring people to Christ. Now we have an opportunity because we're writing on a blank slate. Yes, it's an extreme slate, but it's still a blank slate by which we can now begin to lay open the gospel without them having preconceived notions about it, without them really understanding. And any preconceived notions they have isn't some spiritual justification. They just don't understand. And now we have the opportunity to go and share with them the truth of the gospel. And out of that, the Lord can birth people into the kingdom, you see. I think Jesus is right on to this lukewarmness, this lethargic, complacent, compromising brand of spirituality. It, it yields nothing. It leads to nothing. There's a dead-end street to it, and it just perpetuates itself. People very rarely escape from it, you see, because it creates a false sense of spiritual security that makes a person hard to reach in order to deal with the real problem that's going on within them. At least an unbeliever, well, they can in many cases will yield to, to the truth when they begin to see it, you see? And it is that recognition that opens things up from the Lord now. But the lukewarm person, they're not as easy to reach like that. The lukewarm person can be more like Judas when you think about it, you know? Judas, Judas followed Jesus enough to be considered a disciple, but blinded by the pseudo form of spirituality in the process because he was with Jesus, that he could never really come to terms with his own heart, you see? But I think of the thief on the cross, He's a picture of the cold. When he went to the cross next to Jesus, he was cold. But in the process of hanging on that cross, he saw Jesus who he was, and his heart was in a position where he had no view of himself of being spiritual in any regard. And the truth of Jesus spoke right into his heart, you see. Give me a country full of unbelievers that I have an opportunity to witness to than a country filled with pseudo-spiritual people. One makes you vomit. The other one gives hope because we can bring hope to that group. Amen. I found that when I worked out at Scotland School. You know, I work with a lot of kids who came out of the inner city, a lot of African-American kids, and culturally they're raised with the Bible. I mean, in a lot of ways. They don't know the Bible, but they're raised with the word Jesus. They're raised around these things. And the one thing I found is there were very few of them who really knew Christ. 
They lived in that pseudo spiritual kind of condition. And it was tough at first trying to explain to them why just knowing these things is doing nothing for you. You know, that it's, it's just a, a false form of spirituality. And they got that, but a lot of people never do. You know, lukewarm Christianity, it's all about compromise. It's all about the middle ground. It's, 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 it's a place of spirituality where it's just hot enough so as not to be cold, but cold enough so as not to be hot, which in the end, it just leaves you with nothing. It leaves you with nothing. And if we put in a mathematical equation, it'd be one minus one equals what? Zero. Zero. Both cancel each other out. Lukewarm Christian really doesn't have that much going on spiritually. And so it is that Jesus says that this is an awful form of spirituality to him. In fact, look at the warning he gives in verse 16 in regard to such a state. He says this in verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus, just like the lukewarm water made people sick in Laodicea, and nauseated in, in Laodicea, Jesus says that this kind of spirituality makes him sick. We haven't seen that language with anything else he's addressed in these churches that were going wrong. And there were some pretty horrific things taking place in some of these churches. But this is the one that got this reaction. Man, you guys, you know, this sounds awful, but he's pretty much saying, you guys just make me want to puke. You guys make me want to do that, you see. I hate stomach viruses. <laughs> I cannot tell you. How much I hate stomach virus. I'm sure, oh, I'm sure if I asked anybody, there'd be nobody raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm okay with them. You know, some of you guys are tough though. You know, I've seen some people who are tough with them. They get them, oh, go and throw up. You know, I'm good. But you know what? I also understand this. Even when I get it, I understand that as, as much as I hate that whole thing of, you know, the old expressions, driving the porcelain bus, the technicolor yawn, whatever you want to call it. As much as I hate those things, I know it serves a purpose. You see, it serves a purpose because what it does is it gets rid of something that's in your body that's not supposed to be in there. It begins to get it out. It ejects it out because of the effect that will have on the body if it just remains in there. Something has to come out so that things can get better. And I think the same understanding has to be applied to what Jesus is saying to these guys. Because we can look at this and say, man, he's saying, you guys just made me want to puke, you know, but he's not saying it in that way. He's not really saying it in that way to them. Because remember, we're going to later find, we've already read it, that he's saying, those I love, I rebuke. He loves these guys. What he's really saying to them is that this kind of spirituality that they're now engaged in is so bad, it's so potentially destructive, not just to the ones who are engaging in it, but to his body as a whole. It's infectious to his body as a whole. And it's so much so that it has to be ejected for the sake of the person and for the body as a whole. So as, although I am a, a firm believer in eternal security, not advocating that we need to be continually looking over our shoulders or, or wondering whether or not we'll end up in heaven one day, but I, I do find this verse somewhat disturbing as I see this. I find it disturbing because it does seem to imply that there can be an ejection of that which nauseates Christ. And while I do not believe that it's an eternal ejection, that he's speaking of here in this verse, it is still an ejection nonetheless. It appears from this verse that there can come a point where a lukewarm Christian or a, a lukewarm congregation, since that's what he's talking about more so than the individual here, though the congregation is made up of individuals that are doing it, he's really addressing a body, a congregation of his, and that they can find themselves, we can find ourselves 
ejected from the wonderful fellowship and purpose that comes from being a part of Christ's body on this earth if what we're doing is left uncorrected. As God's people, we don't ever want to be in that position. We don't ever want to be in that position. Lukewarmness is inappropriate for us as God's people because it's a useless form of spirituality. It's useless to God and it's useless to us. It's useless because it leads to nothing. It leads to nothing. As Morris says in his commentary, hot water heals, cold water refreshes, but lukewarm water is useless for either purpose. It's lethargic, it's unproductive, it's unprofitable, it's a useless form of spirituality. You ever been around a lethargic person? You ever been around somebody that's lethargic? They contribute. What do they contribute? They contribute little at all to anything. They just exist and they suck valuable oxygen out of the atmosphere all around them. They drain. They don't contribute. It's also useless because it does nothing to glorify God. It does nothing to glorify God. In fact, it's a pseudo form of Christianity that mocks God. It degrades and it cheapens the grace of God in the marvelous work that Christ did for us on the cross. It's a form of spirituality that says, thanks, Jesus, for what you did for me. Appreciate it much. Now let me alone so I can live my life the way I want to. Don't rock my boat. Let me trust in the things that I want to trust in. Appreciate what you did, but I'm quite content. You see, it's useless because it really doesn't lead people to Jesus. It doesn't lead anyone to Jesus. In many cases, it actually leads people away from him because of the hypocrisy of it all. In every regard, lukewarm Christianity is useless. It's it's a detriment to the purposes of Christ that he intends for his people and for his church. And again, we all have some Laodicean tendencies at work in us. It's easy to point the finger. But the truth is, we all have it at work in us at some point in periods of time in our lives. There will be moments when you will find yourself spiritually lethargic and spiritually neutral in many ways. We will even at times go from spiritually hot to seemingly spiritually cold with lukewarmness stuck in between and, and emerging in our lives from time to time. It's all a normal part of our faith journey, I believe. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.